0: So this year there's uh, two things that I wanted to do uh, in regards to preaching, and one of them was uh, to preach through Romans, which we're doing, and I was just so excited, I'm just enjoying personally the challenge of preaching through Romans. Are you enjoying it? Awesome. Uh, The other thing though is I wanted to actually uh, lead into Easter and to Christmas Uh, properly because very often uh, we haven't done that and uh, a lot of churches do that um, but often we hit Easter and it's like oh it's Easter. Um, So what we're going to do next week just to give you the heads up is we're actually going to hit pause on Romans and we're going to spend five Sundays leading into Easter and do that really properly and uh, we're going to do a series where we're actually going to look at uh, six different places, five and then Easter Sunday, six different places uh, tracking Jesus' journey from the Galilee to the city and from the city to uh, the room where the Last Supper is and from the room out to the garden and from the garden to the cross and then from the cross to the tomb. When you look at six different places and for me, uh, I'm excited particularly to preach this having physically been to those places in Israel uh, last year. And so uh, there's stuff that I'm excited to be able to share about um, that journey uh, that Jesus went, went on uh, physically as he, as he moved uh, towards the cross and to the tomb. So that's, uh, that's next, next week. We're going to pause and we're going to then come back to Romans after that. So we're not leaving it. Uh, we're just going to hit pause and then return to it. Um, the other thing to say, of course, is before I preach, we've got to do something else, which is memory verse. For those who are visiting, we're doing something very old school and we're doing the memory verse every week uh, because I want to encourage people to know the scriptures and and, and have it in their heart and it's very powerful to do that. Um, The one thing uh, that I've realised today, I'm very, very sorry, is that the Caramello Koalas are in the pantry at home. But... uh, Where's Anne? Uh, Anne, uh, she, can, uh, she normally takes minutes for church meetings, so she can take minutes as to who gets the memory verse right. All right. So uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 24 is our memory verse, uh, which looks something like, uh, is this going to work? Uh, there we go. We've go, we got to go back now. Remove it, remove it, remove it. Oh, whew. Okay. Is this working or not? No. Um, so, um, all right. Romans chapter three verse twenty-three to twenty-four. Anyone? Wanna have a go? That's it. No chocolates, no one's having a go. Anyone? Okay, no. Jazz. That's beautiful. That's really that's close enough. Well done, Jazz. One more person. I've got to, to look for exactly here. Let's see. One more person. Fantastic. Well done, Chang. Two caramel Koalas going out next week, but not today, sorry. All right. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, we have come through this scripture Uh, to be reminded of this incredible grace, this incredible love. And we love you, Lord. We love your word. We love your gospel. And we are uh, just so thankful for all that you've done for us. And we're so thankful for this opportunity to sit in your word that reveals so profoundly the incredible grace of God. We love you, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. We want to grow through you. We want to draw uh, near to you in the knowledge that you are reaching out to us, drawing near to us always. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's Romans chapter 4 and a lot of people say they love Romans, right? A lot of Christians love Romans. But I've got a feeling that when most people say they love Romans, they're not thinking of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is one of the more challenging parts of Romans. There's kind of parts of romans that are that are just spectacular and people can quote scripture from and people remember and uh and then there's parts that are a little more challenging just like in uh in the bible there's parts where where you read and just go oh i could preach that That, that's very preachable there's parts where you think that's a little less preachable a little harder to preach but uh there's something very powerful uh, about just trusting that god can speak through every part of his word and actually preaching through the passages that are inspirational and those that are harder work, okay? And this morning is probably one of those passages. Um, I read a theologian, um, uh, I think it's C.H. Dodd, who's a very well-known theologian, has written quite a bit about Romans. He said about chapter 4, that these things, chapter 4, have little interest and no weight for us. Paul's scholastic and rabbinical arguments make the whole exposition seem remote and unenlightening. There you go. That's what I'm working with today, okay? Just putting that out there, all right? Uh, So I'm going to take something that may seem a little remote and unenlightening, but hopefully to bring out uh, what God wants to say through it. And to be honest, at the start of the week, I was a little like, hmm, this is going to be challenging. But actually, at the end of the week, I'm excited to preach through this passage, so uh, let me read the whole of Romans chapter four. Uh, I don't know if we can bring up the whole of Romans chapter four. Um, I don't know that I've got it all on there, um, but uh, it's not on the slide. Sorry, Tim. Just to let you know at this late moment, just to let you, uh, just to challenge you, Romans chapter four. Open it up if you've got a Bible in any form. What then shall we say? Uh, what then shall we say that Abraham, our our forefather? according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised Or also for the uncircumcised we've been saying that abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness under what circumstances was it credited was it after he was circumcised or before it was not after but before and he received circumcision as a sign a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised so then he is the father of all who believe But have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also then the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also who follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those, are you still tracking with me here? <laughs> awesome. For, um, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is, is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and and calls into being things that we're not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I'll tell you a story about family to start and apologies if I've shared this story before but uh, I grew up in the country as many of you would know and I grew up playing football in the country and uh, uh, when I got uh, a little bit older uh, actually let me tell you about footy growing, playing footy in the country one of the fun things about playing footy in the country is that uh, cars park around the ground when you run onto the field uh, people sit in their cars and they toot the horn Right? And then when you kick a goal, when anyone kicks a goal, you have this resounding um, honking of uh, people, uh, the supporters from your team and the parents honking the horn to, uh, to show that they're supporting your team, right? Um, when I was a little older and a teenager, I went down to boarding school and I boarded at uh, Prince Alfred College and I, and I played football for, for PAC. Now, um, the, the culture of football at PAC, uh, there was a, just a different feel to playing on the front oval at PAC than it was to playing, say, on the oval at Blythe or Clare for the South Clare Demons. And obviously on the oval at PAC, people didn't honk their horn when you got a goal, until my mum came to the football one day. <laughs> So mum and dad came to the footy one day, at PAC front oval, and they sat in their car and not only did they honk their horn, which I don't think had ever happened in the history of PAC, but they didn't wait till I'd kicked a goal. They were so excited that every time I touched the ball, <laughs> they honked or she honked my mum honked my dad was probably saying don't honk the horn but no and so I had this moment where you know I've grabbed the ball and I'm about to be tackled and I'm thinking what to do with it and I can hear my mum going beep 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 and you know that's that's what family should be like though (laughs) slightly embarrassing but on your side but on your side and I know that feeling now as a parent, you just long for your children to be okay, to be doing all right, to be happy. Most of us don't have some huge expectation for our children, but we long for our children just to be doing all right, just to be happy. And we do anything for our children. Friday night, my, my son got back from the, the trip to Canberra that most year seven kids in Australia nowadays get to, to do. They go to Canberra and they see all this stuff. There's all the parents there. And, you know, they're at the airport. We're standing on the rail. It's only been a week, but we just can't wait to see our kids. We just hope that they've had a good time. We just hope they're doing all right. Family isn't always a safe place for all people. Let's be honest. But family at its best is meant to be this environment in which there is care and love, nurture, security, encouragement, identity we find some sense of identity and who we are through family protection and that's what family's meant to be about and family's about when you're a kid it's about receiving without an expectation i have not recorded how much it cost us to send our child to canberra for a week tommy's not going to get to a certain age where we say by the way tommy you owe us uh, for that trip and for the pair of sneakers we bought you, and the footy boots, and the school fees, and whatever it is, he's never going to have to pay that back because he is family. Because he's my son. That's what family's about. This passage is set in the context of family. This passage is about family, and uh, it's about how we are Abraham's family. And there used to be a song that we used to sing uh, when I was a kid called Father Abraham. Does anyone know the song Father Abraham? Father Abraham, has many sons, many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, left, right hand, right arm. And, uh, And then it's this ridiculous song, right arm, left arm, left leg, right leg. And I used to think about that song, I used to think about that song, am I really a son of Abraham? I'm not a son of Abraham, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. How am I a son of Abraham? Uh, You've probably never thought about the theological content behind that song, well I'm going to unpack that for you uh, Uh, this morning what does that song mean what i did know about abraham is that he is the father of the jewish nation and that though the jewish people he became the uh uh, well actually i'm going to i'm going to read this out i'm going to go back to the very start to genesis chapter 12 genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 4 let's have a look at this i've got this on the screen so i'll just read it out the lord said to abram who had his name changed to abraham go from your country your people and your father's household to the land i will show you and I, and, and god makes these promises to this guy abram He's, he first calls him and says you need to go and then he says i will make you into a great nation and i will bless you and i will make your name great you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you curse those who curse you and all people on earth will be blessed through you that's genesis chapter 12. So uh, the next thing it says is that Abraham... says, so Abraham went. That's the, f- that's the next kind of uh, part in that passage. We move on to Genesis chapter 15. G- Genesis chapter 15. We read this. Um, After the word of the Lord came to Abram in a, vi- in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said... Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza, Eliza, son of, uh, of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So God's made this promise, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But Abraham at the time was 75, now he's touching into his mid-90s. He's thinking this seems rather unlikely. And God says, um, says this, he says, um, he takes him outside and he says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Says this to a man in his 90s with a wife in the 80s or 90s as well. And then it says this, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, two chapters later, uh, God makes a covenant with Abraham, which is where this, all this talk about circumcision, which is a little uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, God makes his covenant with Abraham, and Abraham, uh, as, a, as an old man, is circumcised, and all the uh, family members of his and then finally, in chapter 20, 21, when Abraham is 100, about 100 years old, his son Isaac is born. And God fulfills his promise. God always fulfills his promise. Not always in our timing, not always in the way we expect or in the time frame we expect, but God fulfills his promise. He's always true to his word. So Isaac has, uh, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons. Their names are Jacob and Esau. And Jacob becomes the one who gets the blessing. And Jacob has 12 sons himself. And God changes Jacob's name. If you're tracking a lot of history here, changes Jacob's name to Israel. And the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so through Abraham comes the nation of Israel. They are all sons and daughters of Abraham. So let's go back to Romans. It says, What shall we say then? Our forefather Abraham, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. What does the scripture say? And it says this this is the key verse. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is to say, Oh, actually, I'll, I'll explain it through verse 4. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So we're talking here about gift versus wages, about God crediting, giving, rather than Abraham earning. So when you work, and you've done a week's work, um, you don't get a paycheck these days, or a little, you know, written check, um, though people probably used to you probably remember back to those days you get the little written check at the end of the week these days it just pops up in your account but when it pops up in your account most of you don't walk into your boss's office and say i thank you so much wow for this incredible gift you have given me you are so generous what a wonderful gift my salary you think no I've worked for that. I've earned it. It's it's my wages. There's an agreement here. I work really hard, and then I'm paid according to the fact that I've worked hard. Wages bring uh, a salary. To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, it goes on to say, to the one who does not work, but trusts God... Who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness so here's the thing in in paul's day when he writes romans the jews were teaching they'd come to understand because uh, abraham went through the covenant of circumcision and because abraham became this patriarch and this great hero to look up to this sort of hero of the faith this father figure They had come to be teaching that because Abraham had done these things, because of his works, because he'd gone through the circumcision, that because of all this, God had said, well, you know, I'll accept you. And and, and so Paul wants to take it back and he wants to say, no, I'm not bringing a new idea here, this idea that you're justified by grace, not by works. I'm going to take you right back to Genesis. We're going to go right back to the start. We're going to see the order in which things happened the order in th- which things happened was this. God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you offspring, uh, I'm going to give you uh, an inheritance, I'm going to give you children like the stars in the sky. When he was, ni- when he was in his 90s. And Abraham did what? Simply believed. He simply believed. And God so- said, I credit you therefore as righteous, right with me. Not because of The things you've done because they come afterwards but simply by belief you see the the verse in Romans 3 is so crucial I'm going to go back to that now um, the wages of sin if we can flick back there Tim now the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life actually sorry Tim if you can flick forward to those three words on either side you see there's a division here this scripture saying there's two ways that you can attempt salvation You can attempt salvation on the left through wages, through earning, but actually the wages of sin, because that's the outcome for all of us, it's part of our life. The wages of sin is death. And yet on the other side, the gift of God is life. You can see how there's a contrast between there's wages and there's gift, there's sin and there's God, there's death and there's life. And he's saying, Israelites... Abraham, you've been teaching that Abraham, it was, it was his wages. You know, it was all these things he did. It was circumcision. It was all this stuff. No, wages, actually the wages of sin is death. No, no, Abraham had chosen this side. He'd chosen gift to receive it as a gift from God that brings eternal life. This is what's happening in the passage. Paul's going back to the Old Testament to teach the people in their day and now we are taught in our day that this isn't some new concept that Paul had come up with. This was God's plan from the very start. God is unchanging. And Paul says this is the message of the gospel. Salvation comes by faith. It comes by faith. It is a gift. It is given by God and it brings eternal life. And it comes through simply believing. You can earn salvation or you can't earn salvation. You can attempt to earn salvation or you can simply receive salvation. You can think of it as wages or you can receive it as a gift. You can, you can try to earn up through works or you can live by faith. The message we come back to, the same message I've been preaching and I have no hesitation in repeating it. We are sinners in need of God's grace. God has made a way for us to be saved through Jesus Christ. Salvation is available for us all to be received simply by believing. Paul then goes on to quote King David. He goes from the Israel's greatest patriarch to Israel's greatest king. What does David say? Next slide, verse 6 to 8. Oh, by the way, there's my little picture. I've got the line here that separates wages, and this is the side we're living on. And then, thank you, Mark. I thought it was brilliant too. And. Uh, It's through the cross. Here we go. David says this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. The summary of the whole thing this story i've tracked a little bit of abraham's story comes to us in verses 9 to 12 let me read it out and hopefully now this all fits together is the blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised we've been saying that abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness under what circumstances was it after he was circumcised or before it was not after but before and he received it as a sign the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So, so, so this circumcision thing is a little bit like baptism is today, to us today, right? We've got the baptismal pool there, which we open up and we baptize people. It's not as though people get baptized and we're saying, in this moment, you are being saved. No, salvation's come when they had faith. And baptism's just the sign that this has happened. So it is with circumcision. For the Israelites and uh, so therefore it says so then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them and he's also the father of the circumcised who are not only are circumcised but who follow in the footsteps of faith that is to say he is the father of us all who believe in faith whether you're Jewish whether you're Gentile You know, whether rich or poor, young or old, black or white, all of us are sinners who stand before him and say, we by faith are actually children of God and children, sons of Abraham. We're part of his family. That's what brings us back to family. So Father Abraham did indeed have many sons and daughters. Many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. That's why we praise the Lord. Because we're part of family. We're not any sons of Abraham. By faith, we're children of God. We're children of God. Isn't it wonderful that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he doesn't say, this is how you should pray. Oh God, distant, all-powerful, all-knowing, incredible creator God who stands far away. That's not how we start the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer starts with the words, Our Father. Our Father. That is so powerful. It's so powerful. Jesus says, this is how you should approach God, our Father. Jesus went on to say, you know, which of you, if your father, if you're, um, if you're a child and the child asks for a father for a, a bread, gives him a stone. Which of them, if he asks for, I can't remember what it is, fish i was going to say a bowl of cocoa pops um gives him a snake no the father wants to bless and god is a father who wants to bless and the greatest blessing that he's given us is that he has saved us through jesus by faith by faith so here's four points out of this one god is unchanging god is unchanging there's not an old testament god and a new testament god sometimes we have this sense of this is how people are saved in the Old Testament through the law and, and all the sacrifices. And this is how people are saved in the New Testament by believing in Jesus. No, it is by faith. It is by faith. All the way through. Secondly, God's promises are unwavering. And God always keeps his promises. Thirdly, salvation is always by grace. There's not an Old Testament way of being saved a New Testament way. And fourth, faith is simply believing that God can do what is impossible for us. Faith is simply believing God can do what is impossible for us. And here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. People who are not part of the church so often have this understanding that church people are here saying, we're, we're doing pretty good and we're working hard. And they believe that we believe that salvation is by works. But it's not. What's even sadder is there's some people in the church who have somehow missed this message that salvation is by grace, not by works. What's equally sad is that sometimes we believe and know intellectually that we're saved by grace, but we live as though we're saved by works. Now, I'm going to read a bit of Tim Keller stuff here, so you're going to have to stick with me on this. Okay, this is what Keller writes in his book, Center Church. Let's read about two paragraphs. He says this richard lovelace great last name was a student of the history of revivals he sought to discover what for all their apparent differences they all had in common he concluded that while christians know intellectually that their justification brackets their acceptance by god is based on their is the basis for their sanctification their moral behavior their actual day in their actual day-to-day existence they rely on their sanctification for their justification it's probably thrown some of you out completely there which is basically to say they rely on their works for their salvation so they know that their their salvation is not based on works but they live as though their salvation is based on works Um, they draw their their assurance of acceptance with god from their sincerity their past experience of conversion their recent religious performance or their relative infrequency of their conscious willful willful disobedience. In other words, revivals and renewals are necessary because the default mode of the human heart is works righteousness. We do not ordinarily live as if the gospel is true. Christians often believe in their heads that Jesus accepts me, therefore I will live a good life. But in their hearts and actions, they're functioning practically on this principle if I live a good life, Jesus will accept me. The result of this inversion inversion is either smug self satisfaction or self hatred. In either case, the results are defensive, a critical spirit. and so it goes on in sharp contrast the gospel of sheer grace offered to hopeless sinners will humble and comfort all at once the results are joy a willingness to admit faults graciousness with all and a lack of self-absorption you know we have this question we ask people and i ask people myself how are you going in your faith how are you going in your faith ever been asked that question obviously not Uh, People say, How are you going in your faith? Do you know we often answer that based on feeling how how close we're feeling to God? So we might say, Yeah, I'm not really feeling close to God now. Or on performance. How we're doing, the things we're doing. Do you know that probably the right answer to that question as a Christian is how are you going in your faith? Is just to say, Yep, I have it. <laughs> I have it. I have faith. That i am a sinner and i've been saved by grace do you get what do you get what i'm trying to say it's not about performance it's not about the stuff we're doing it's not even about how we're feeling about it it's just simply do we trust in the fact that he has done it that he has done it um being in ministry really interesting for me to be in ministry uh, especially at a time like this because we've thrown at it we've thrown out this big proposal right and, and there's, there's, there's many who are wrestling with that and there's some, a couple of people who are at the moment struggling with that, right? And so therefore I find in ministry um, you get these different situations where as a leader sometimes people look at you and they'll maybe have a negative opinion of you or they'll question how you're going about if they Often if they do disagree with something you've proposed then they might want to disagree with you or how you've done something, right? So you face this sometimes situation At other times you get you get the praises of people as a pastor you know i've been part of a church that this church we've obviously seen a lot of growth and a lot of change and there's kind of sometimes some kudos that comes from that within the wider church circle you can kind of get built up by that what a wonderful thing it is to come back to this reality i am a sinner saved by grace that whatever, when people want to say the negative stuff about me, if they want to do that, do you know what? I'm a sinner and I'll be saved by grace. If people want to build me up, I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. Do you know in your life, you'll have people that want to bring you down. You'll have people that want to bring you down. There's no, there's no further down that they need to bring you than, than you're a sinner. Saved by grace. And there's times where people want to lift you up. There's people here who are achieving. There's people here who are succeeding. There's people here who are honoured and respected and recognised. Do you know what? When that's happening to you, remember this. You're a sinner, saved by grace. Before you did anything, before Abraham did anything, before he did circumcision before he became the great patriarch before he became the father of Isaac before all this stuff what did he do God said I'm gonna I'm making a promise to you and he just went okay I believe in that promise I believe in that promise may you believe in the promise that God has made to you and let me also say this if you've trusted him for that if you've trusted him for your salvation believe in all his promises keep believing in him because God can do if believing is believing God can do more abundantly more than what we can imagine that if if he can do the things that we can't then keep believing we've believed in the great thing God can do even greater things God can do things that are beyond our expectation wouldn't it be great for us to be a people who say man we have believed and been saved let us keep believing God can do great things in our time God can do beyond what we think is possible. God, beyond, God can do beyond what, whatever we can do. And when things seem impossible, when things seem that they're improbable, that we might be people to say, hold on, I remember that God's already done the impossible in my life, so I'll continue to have faith. And God might not answer that prayer in our time or in the way we expect. we just got to have faith that God can believe, that God can answer our prayers. I was thinking back to uh, uh, an old... Uh, Uh, someone who I love Keith Green a great singer who I love great singer from the 70s and I remember Keith Green uh, went through this time in his book he wrote about when he had writer's block and he hadn't written a song for months he sat down at the piano and asked God to give him a song asked God to give him a song he'd been trying nothing had been happening nothing had been working so he sat down he said God give me a song would you give me a song and he commented that God's the God of the universe. He's keeping the stars in space. He's overseeing the whole world. Would God care enough about one person to give them a song? Is that crazy? But actually, he's a child of God. God knows every one of us personally and individually and intimately as God's children. So God gave him a song. And, uh, and he just started playing it. He sang the whole song. And the song said this, My son, my son, why are you striving? You can't add one thing to what's been done for you. I did it all while I was dying. Rest in your faith. My peace will come to you. For when I hear the praises start, my child, I want to rain upon you blessings that will fill your heart. I see no stain upon you because you are my child and you know me. To me, you're only holy. Nothing that you've done remains only what you do for me. You think about what it would be like to be Abraham, to have received that promise. You know, you believe in God as a 90 year old, as a 70 year old, and then a 90 year old. You keep believing that God's going to give you a son, and then he does. You think when that's happened, you can just, how do you live the rest of your life? How easy, you just keep trusting God. You just live with a peace. Wow, God's fulfilled his promise. You know, each of us can keep living with that same peace because God's fulfilled his promise to us. Normally a, a church application is, I don't know, to go and do something or be something or, you know, the application of a sermon is go out and do something. My application is this, go and do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Primarily, rest in the faith. Rest in the knowledge that you have been saved by grace. And then anything you you do needs to come after that. After that. Yeah, we're going to live for Jesus in response to his grace, but not to earn his grace, because we never will. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.